Welcome to the Horseman's Academy podcast presented by Lundahl Performance. We believe in making advanced horsemanship accessible, and our mission is to present a raw, authentic look at horse training. We're problem solving, we're answering difficult questions, and we're breaking down common sense exercises for riders of all levels. On this podcast, we document the lessons we've learned in our own horsemanship journey while offering insights that might help you achieve your horsemanship goals. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jake Lundahl here. What I've got for you today is actually audio that was taken from a live video stream slash conference call webinar that we did uh, called Training on a Budget. And we've started doing this exclusive lecture series through our website, academy.lundahlperformance.com. You can actually sign up there. If you go to that website, you'll see a link to register. You can't miss it. It's a big red button. So I would encourage you register there if you haven't already. You'll get email notifications and links every time we do one of these exclusive little live webinars. And and we've got a bunch of different subjects planned. We've done two at this point already. We've got another one coming up this week. And we're going to try to continue to do those on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Essentially, these are live training sessions that are exclusively for our Horseman's Academy members. Now, you, you don't have to be a paying member to sign up and watch these, but you do have to sign up through the website. There's a private Facebook group that we'll invite you into, and there's multiple ways that you can actually watch the stream as it's happening, or you can watch the replay later. I thought I would just put this audio in the podcast feed just to show you guys what we're doing in that group and encourage you, if you haven't already, to sign up and join us for these live streams. Let me know what you thought and go to academy.lundallperformance.com to register for these if you haven't already. Let's get into, let's just get started here. I know we're a little bit early, but let's just get right into the presentation. This is a topic that I'm really passionate about. Uh, last time in our live stream, we talked about um, just training on a budget in a way. We talked about it more in the, in the sense of you don't have a facility. Um, in some cases, don't even have an arena. You know, I, ta- I talked about my personal experience growing up in Nebraska. Initially, we didn't even have an arena to ride in. We didn't have anything. We had a hay field and some dirt roads and that's it. Okay. But the reality is you can get a lot done even with little to no facility. If you just have some ingenuity and just good old toughness and guts, you know, just be out there riding on, even if it's a little bit uneven pasture ground, even if the weather's not super nice, uh, you know, put a slicker on, get out there. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's only when you really reach the high level of like intense maneuvers, like when you're trying to train barrel horses or you're trying to train reining horses that need to do sliding stops, you got to have good ground at that point to be able to accomplish it. But um, for everything up to that, even a lot of advanced things, I'm talking even lead changes and things like that. Um, you can do a lot with minimal stuff. I, I kind of had a joke during the live stream last time about a guy I knew. I, I should have gone into this more. He's a reining trainer from Nebraska that we met, kind of an old school guy. He didn't have an arena. He literally had a, like a mulberry bush. There was a thicket at the end of a dirt path that he used as a sliding track. I kid you not. And he made that work. Um, you know, so you don't have to go to that level, of course, but there's many things you can do. And we're kind of building on that subject now with talking about training on a budget, because I have some things, there's going to be a little overlap here. But I have some things specifically on that subject that I want to get into. So let's get into that now. For those of you that are tuning in for the first time and missed our previous webinar, I'll just give a brief 
background of who I am. Um, I've been a professional in the horse industry for the better part of 12 years now. I've apprenticed with some of the top trainers out there, and I've had a good balance of experience between the clinician uh, lessons and coaching and training horses for the public side, as well as the Western performance horse stuff, reining and cow horse. So I, I try to bring the best of both worlds together. Um, Amy Kegel, who's my partner in crime, has a very similar background and, and very similar methodology. So we're, we work to develop a system that brings a lot of performance horse concepts in, uh, while at the same time, we, we're a huge fan of the cult starting, the problem solving, being super methodical with that and having a well-balanced program. We're big believers in groundwork and all the foundational things that enable your success later. So I, I wouldn't call us natural horsemanship trainers. I think that's a loaded term anyways. Um, but we're not exclusively catering to the show horse people either. Although our name is Lundell Performance, we're here to try to make everybody, you know, provide, make advanced horsemanship accessible. That's our mission. So we're trying to provide higher level concepts you can use. Even if you're a trail rider, there's things that you can learn from the Western performance horse world that are super effective that you can still apply. Um, so I, I just want to have like more cross-cultural communication there. Uh, that's what we really believe in in our program. Now, before this webinar ends, like last time, we kind of set a goal up front here. I want to give you my top strategies for training and managing horses, even if you're on a bit of a budget. I know this is really relevant now with all the virus crap and everything else that's going on. Um, you know, all of us collectively have been kind of punched in the mouth, economically speaking, by this crisis. But even if this was the best of times, even if we were still, you know, super fluffy and, you know, you've got money in your pocket, it's still good to be smart about managing your money around horses because they they can really eat up a lot of our time, a lot of our money. Um, so we want to be smart about that. Now, if you stay to the end of this presentation, I've got a special offer. A few of you have already taken me up on it uh, that relates to our coaching program that we're rolling out here with the Horseman's Academy. So let's get right into it here. Uh, obviously, a disclaimer, any of the training information that uh, I believe, are you checking Zoom? It's probably, it probably is, yeah. Just refresh the page. Um, can you hear audio? Okay, that's the main part that I, want to, that I want to be sure of is that audio is coming through on Zoom. Zoom is kind of a finicky platform, honestly. So if you're watching on Zoom, uh, you know, and you're not getting the video, just flip on over to the Facebook group or, or go to YouTube, honestly. Those are much better video streaming platforms. Um, I'm not a big fan of Zoom, especially with some of the crap that's come out about them in recent weeks about you know renting shoddy servers in China, for example, to host meetings on. Um, it's just not the best platform in some ways. But getting back to the presentation here, obviously I'm gonna be talking about, I'm gonna be making specific recommendations. So this disclaimer is actually more in effect than last time. I'm gonna be specifically talking about things that center on horse nutrition, things that affect your horse's health and their training. And obviously, I want you to do your own due diligence on anything that I say. And ideally, you'd be collaborating with me one-on-one -on -one so that I can give you actual contextual information that relates directly to you and your horse and what you want to accomplish. In this lecture series, I can give general information, but it's, it's ripe for the plunder to be taken out of context by morons who abuse this information. So I just ask that you be smart, you interpret things I say th through the lens of your own experience as well. 
um, and, and not just take something I say out of context and, and get yourself or your horse in trouble. So really what we're going to do here in the initial part of this presentation, we're going to break this down into three sections. Number one, setting yourself up for success on this issue of training on a budget. You know, when we talk about managing money around horses, a lot of the times people that work with me, they find themselves leveraged into a, an, into a bad situation, into a situation where they're hemorrhaging money just through bad decisions that were made on the front end. You know, maybe they purchased a horse with very little awareness. Uh, they didn't have somebody in their corner that's experienced walking them through the pre-purchase process. And they end up with a horse that's foundered and has all kinds of medical bills or all these different things come into play, right? So prevention better than cure, certainly. And we're going to talk about actual horse care strategies, as well as equipment and training strategies, some of which relates to what we touched on in the last webinar. Now, why is this such an issue sometimes? And why is it such a touchy issue? You know, like when people come to me and they just have a totally dysfunctional situation financially, as well as just in the relationship with their horse, like they're not getting anything out of this deal. They're providing feed, medicine, cushy stall, you name it. And this animal is just not earning its keep. It's just too much. It's, it's almost too much of a pain in the ass to justify the bending over backwards and the sacrifices that they're going through with this horse, right? But people have such a hard time making logical decisions because we're all guilty of this around horses, especially horses are very emotion heavy, right? We have a lot of emotional strings attached to these animals and it's tough to be able to make rational decisions. The thing about money is it's hundred percent rational. There's, I mean, it's, it's math, it's zeros and ones. It doesn't lie. And it also doesn't have room for the emotional froth and BS that we sometimes tell ourselves, right? It's, it's the reality that's staring you in the face. And a lot of times we kind of try to hide from that, especially as it relates to making tough decisions around horses. It's very hard to do. Um, but we need to do that. I think, you know, I've been approached about this issue the last few weeks in light of this virus crisis, especially, and I think it's healthy in some ways. We've certainly had this conversation just in our own program, uh, which, again, I think is healthy because we need to look at the economic reality of horse ownership, because the reality is either we need to be getting it's kind of like owning a dog. Either there's some function, whether it's a hunting dog that has a job, but it's also a companion or it's just a companion animal, but you get enough joy and value out of that relationship, it justifies the cost, right? Um, the horse, it's the same way. They need to be earning their keep, either through the enough emotional fulfillment to justify the cost, or they need to be earning their keep through a job or a mix of the two. Um, but uh, a lot of horses, and Katie says hi. Uh, hi, Katie. Appreciate you tuning in. Um, but yeah, you know, we want to we want to get over that emotional barriers that sometimes uh, force us into bad decision making. That's I, I walk through this with a lot of people that I that I teach or that I work with. Um, so setting yourself up for success. I'm a big believer in this because I've worked with so many horse owners that have bought horses for all the wrong reasons. They keep horses for all the wrong reasons and they get themselves into situations where they're like a nursemaid to a horse or they're like a homeless shelter for horses, but the, the horses are not bringing any value to the table. It has to be a two-way street, right? Um, and some breeds of horses are just harder to manage. They're more prone to certain genetic, uh, you know, chronic conditions, um, you know, whether it's joint breakdown or, 
some horses are more susceptible to founder. Some horses are just harder to keep weight on. They just are voracious eaters that require a ton of nutrition. You know, other horses are easy keepers. So I would say this to the people that are on the fence about buying a new horse. You want to get a horse. This is why soundness. This is why having a trainer in your corner that walks you through the pre-purchase process Make sure that you don't end up with a horse that's got chronic soundness issues. It requires all kinds of medicines and therapies and you name it. Doesn't have any digestive issues, you know, ulcers and all kinds of parasites and things like that. You want a horse that has the least amount of inputs to, to, to their maintenance. I think that's pretty common sense, but I see people fail that smell test every single day. Um, in fact, a funny story, when we initially moved out here to Ohio, we're in a much better barn now, okay, but I was trying to find a barn that was that would do full care for my horses because I had a bunch of other things going on, and I only brought a few horses with me initially to Ohio. There was just three client horses that I had, okay? So I was looking for a smaller barn that still had full care for me, and we ended up at this place, and I didn't realize this till we moved in, but the owner of the barn had rescued like 20 Arabians from, I don't know where he found these things, but he had like 20 of these Arabians. And of course they're all starved, like bony, nasty looking hair. They just look like death warmed over. Okay. Um, and so you can imagine the expense of dewormer and shots and foot hoof care. These things, hooves looked like just horrible. Like they hadn't been done in years. They had, the elf shoes going on. Okay. You can imagine the, the farrier bills and everything else that would be involved in trying to rehab and rehome 20 Arabian horses, unless you're literally in the horse rescue business. And that's an extreme example, but I know people that they make horse purchasing decisions based a lot of the times on emotion and people like I talked, I, I talked about this in a different context, but you know, some of us as horse owners, we fall victim to the savior complex when we're out horse shopping, essentially. And we're, we're you know, everybody becomes kind of like a little superhero that rescues the horse from this uh, horribly abusive person, right? I'll tell you a story that really impacts me personally. One of my first horses, in fact, the first little gelding that I ever got, um, we got him from a breeder that was out in the middle of nowhere in Brainerd, Nebraska. The name was Tyree. And he, he was well-bred um, and super good-minded. Like, I could not have asked for a better-minded horse, okay? I invested hours and hours with this horse. I was riding him around bridleless. I was just, I enjoyed this horse so much. He was one of the, one of the, he was one of those once-in-a-lifetime horses, right? Well, one day, he was about four years old, so I only had two years with him. Two years of a lot of investment and my folks helping me out. They were paying the feed bills and everything else to take care of this horse. Two years later, this horse keels over dead one day. Why? Because he was so infested with parasites. At least this was the, the, the hypothesis that our vet put forward. He had been so infested with parasites and bloodworms specifically when he was younger, they had damaged the lining of his heart and his major blood vessels to the point where he actually had heart failure. He had essentially blew out an artery and bled to death internally in the course of like a minute one day, just went from romping around in the pasture. And, you know, I took him out for a ride and like that day before, you know, and like nothing on the surface going on. 
and then boom, dead the next day. All that time I invested, all the money my folks had invested in making this horse work and getting it for me and everything that I poured into this horse for two years was just gone. It just evaporated instantly. Um, and I was pretty devastated emotionally when that happened, right? Now, we could have, like, in some ways, I like the fact that I owned that horse. In other ways, it was a total loss, wasn't it? All that time for two years, all that emotional investment, it just got severed immediately because we made a buying decision on a horse that had deep-seated health problems that we just weren't aware of. We didn't really dig too deeply into this horse uh, when we purchased him. We just kind of went and we looked at him. He wasn't lame. We bought him, right? That stuff is so important, though. Those pre-purchase exams, knowing what to watch out for because, you know, this guy didn't have any negative intent. He just didn't take very good care of his horses. They were just all full of parasites, you know. But there are genuine shysters out there that will sell you a horse that's foundered. And then you're stuck. You're like that horse's therapist for the next 10 years. Um, and people feel guilty about getting rid of it. So don't get yourself into that situation up front, number one. Um, another thing I was going to talk about is half leasing a horse. So buy a hardy horse. You know, Eliminate any horses from your buying decisions that are going to cost more than it's worth to maintain. I think that's pretty common sense, but we've all been guilty of failing that. I have as well. Um, and yeah, Katie says off the track thoroughbreds cost a lot to feed. And that's, that's a decision, you know, I respect. We've got multiple people in this group that are involved with the off the track thoroughbreds and doing a lot of great work. But that is a reality is that these horses require a lot more calories just because of the way that they're bred, right? Um, so they're harder to maintain in addition to the effort you have to pour into their training. So, you know, Katie, I know her personally is very capable. I know a lot of people, though, that have off-the-track thoroughbreds that they're in way over their head on the feed bills and the maintenance, not to mention the training that they just weren't prepared for. So make smart decisions, you know. Um, and Andrew uh, is excited to be listening. I appreciate that, Andrew. Welcome. Um, okay, so half-leasing horses, getting back to the presentation here. This is something I wanted to talk about because there's two ways. I, I have a lot of people come and ask me, should I half lease my horse? And it sounds like a good idea on the surface, right? You you get like a, a girl that wants to use a horse for 4-H or somebody that just wants a horse for the summer um, to half lease the horse for you. So you're getting that horse's feed bills taken care of essentially for part of the year. Um, and that seems like a good idea in theory, but there's two ways to do that. It really breaks down to the Bush League way, okay, and the respectable way. The Bush League way is where you're not very honest with yourself. You've got a horse that's an old, unbroke nag that really doesn't bring any value to the table, and you try to pawn it off on a 4 hr or somebody that is unsuspecting. And I've had, I know so many people who try to pull these little deals every single year. Um, it's crazy. Uh, first of all, your horse has to have something to bring to the table, okay? I think that's pretty common sense. The respectable way to do that is if you're a professional and you lease a, a lesson horse to a client, you know, that's, that's legitimate. If you're just a private owner, um, I think if, if that person leasing the horse from you is paying minimal to nothing on the surface or, or, you know, there's really no principal payments, but they're taking good care of the horse. They're providing the feed. They're continuing to ride the horse, keep its feet taken care of for the part of the year that they're leasing it. I think that's a good deal. I know a lot of people that they come to me with kind of a little business plan almost of wanting to lease 
their horse. And it's just a, it's just a, a good trail horse, you know, uh, that somebody could hop on, but it really doesn't bring a lot of other value to the table. It's just a quiet saddle horse. And I think a lot of people are unrealistic about how much you're going to charge somebody to then use your horse, but also pay to feed it and take care of it. I think that's just a little bit too much unless your horse is a, is a world champion that brings a lot to the table or is being shown or is being used actively in lessons. Otherwise, you know, I don't think you can really charge a ton for it, but you can come to a smart arrangement. And if people have questions about this, I can walk you through the exact legal agreements, the waivers, everything that you need to go through if you're going to lease your horse to somebody. Even if you're not asking for lease payments, you're just asking that they do a good job taking care of the horse. There's a lot of ways that that can go wrong. It can be pretty touch and go sometimes unless you really know and trust the people that you're leasing to. So it's not a good decision for most people. But it is a good decision for some, and and that can, in the right circumstances, it can help ease the strain uh, in for at least part of the year of taking care of that horse. And it's it's especially suited for people that their horse is really well trained and broke, but they can't ride a lot even during the summer months. Okay, so you might as well let somebody else get value from that horse as well and keep them taken care of. Um. Yeah, no, we're getting some awesome comments here, especially from Katie. Um, you know, I know Katie has a lot of experiences on some of the things that I'm talking about. So I really appreciate her input as well. Um, Katie, Katie's a good hand. We've got a few other people in here. Jennifer, for example, that's a good hand as well. Both of them have been involved with the off the track thoroughbreds. Um, Libby says hi. Hi, Libby. Um, Sadie, I've had an off the track thoroughbred. I had to rehome. Due to not being able to afford the feed. Yes, that is a reality. That's a reality that a lot of people don't realize when they get into that. Um, you know, kind of like the Mustang makeovers that I used to do. There's so many upfront costs because these horses come in, they're super underweight, they're full of parasites. They've in some cases got a lot of other health issues kind of under the surface. Um, they can cost more than you initially bargained for or realized when you adopted the horse, you know, so it's the same in both of those camps, unfortunately. Um, yes, Katie, <laughs> we're talking about leasing horses. Um, you know, yeah, just saw an ad yesterday. Girl was wanting to lease her crazy barrel horse while she's in recovery for a broken leg. Oh, total red flag. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm telling you, there's a Bush League way to do it, and there's a respectable way to do it, okay? The respectable way, I don't have a problem with. The Bush League way, um, yeah, a little bit touchy there. Um, anyway, let's go into some of the horse care strategies that you can kind of apply in the, in the present day currently. When it comes to boarding and, and nutrition and, and health care for the horses, I really recommend if you're boarding somewhere, and a lot of people don't have a home place they can keep the horse, which is fine. I recommend trying to find a boarding facility that offers self-care. The place that we're moving into, um, we're going to offer both self and full care. I really like the self-care as a trainer myself. And I know there's a lot of other hands-on horse owners that make good use of that because, you, you know, you're not paying for that extra fluff, right? You can tightly control what your horse gets fed, the shavings, everything else that you're paying for. You can keep costs down and typically pay just a minimum monthly fee just for access to the stall or even the pasture. Um, we're not doing this, but some bigger facilities, especially the further south you go, they've got more pasture ground. And so if you're doing pasture board, that's a good way 
uh, as well. And I, I really recommend getting your horses on pasture, at least for part of the year. We'll talk about why in a moment. Um, yeah, or just keeping the horse yourself. One thing that my parents used to do with, uh, and I think, and still do now, I think, even though there's less horses on the property, is that they would rent two pastures in addition to the small pasture that we had on the home place. So there was a, a next door neighbor to us who used to have sheep, and he had a small pasture that he would lease during the summer, right? And so my folks would use that pasture as well as the one on the on the opposite side to the west. So there was two little pastures that my folks would rent um, just because we didn't have enough on the home place. And even if we didn't have horses grazing, we could get hay off of that, right? Now, when you factor in, if you really sit down and go through the numbers of how well your horse keeps on natural grass versus having to buy hay all summer, it's a no-brainer, right? I, I'm a big believer that there's nothing better than good pasture for a horse. It's not a reality that everybody has access to. But if you can get access to that, even for part of the year, you'll be amazed at not only your horse's body condition off of that good, fresh grass, um, but it keeps costs down significantly. Um, another thing that is a big debate among some people is blanketing in the winter. Now, those of you from the northern part of the country like I am or even further north, we got some Canadians here in the group. You guys know what real winter is, okay? And there's a there's a kind of an ideological debate about whether or not to blanket your horses, um, and you know everybody just gets super triggered over this because there's there's the people there's the camp of never blanket ever hashtag never blanket, um, and then there's the ones that do all year round they've got sheets and slinkies and everything else in their horses. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of a you know depending on what the horse needs, I will do it. Um, and I really recommend blanketing in the winter. You know, you don't have to like keep your horse locked in a stall with multiple layers of sheets and slinkies and heavy blankets on to keep their hair super short and have lights on them and everything else. Um, if you're a show horse person, that's great. We've got horses that we do that with. But even if even a simple heavy blanket, if your horse is turned out during the day, say, and it's the dead of winter, people don't realize how what how that helps a horse kind of control and contain a lot of that body heat. If, if your horse has no blanket on whatsoever, they've got a winter coat. That That is probably the best thing of, of any. You know, a human blanket is not going to be as efficient as their own hair. But if that's all they've got and there's no additional layering and you've got your horse like outside in a run or in a three-sided shed during the winter or, or in a barn that's kind of drafty, that horse has got to eat a lot of calories to keep their body heat up to get through the winter. And having a blanket on just makes that easier, right? So when I, that's what I say, like there's, there's nuances and variance to it where the fact that you blanket your horses doesn't necessarily mean you've got to keep their hair short and keep lights on them and everything. Sometimes just a good blanket can help that horse preserve calories to where you're getting more efficiency out of the feed that you're giving them, especially over the winter. You know, then they don't have to eat so much just to keep their body heat up and you're just burning calories off into the atmosphere because it's so dang cold outside in the dead of winter. Okay. So I recommend that. And in fact, now is a good time of year to be buying blankets and kind of planning ahead if you need to replace them or you need to buy a blanket for your horse. Cause right now spring and summer is when they start going on clearance. So be checking, be checking that out. Um, and then, yeah, stop harassing the vet. Now, again, where I said about the disclaimer, people take me out of context. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not saying never call the vet. 
All I'm saying is become proficient at basic healthcare, wraps, poulticing. I actually know a lot of professional horse trainers that have studied, uh, they, they've actually become their own farrier. They, they are trimming and shoeing their own horses um, and have become super proficient at it. Some guys are self-taught and they do like, you know, barefoot uh, broodmare trims just so that they don't have to have the shoer out just to do trims. Um, but then the horses that need shoes, especially the performance horses that, you know, they need a specific taper on the shoe and things like that, then they'll get an actual farrier out there. But for the basic stuff, you know, people are more than capable of doing that themselves and leaving the specialized work to the professional. You know, I myself, I do a lot of barefoot trimming on my horses if they don't have shoes on just because I've done it enough. I didn't go to school or study it or anything, but I was taught by other trainers who themselves trim their own horses. Um, so that's huge. And then just basic doctoring from anything from dressing minor wounds and scrapes and bumps to, you know, if your horse is stocked up or swollen leg or whatever, you're proficient with how to wrap that, you know, how to use vet wrap and, and uh, cotton padding and things like that to poultice your horse's legs. Um, there's so many things that, that, at least in my experience as a professional over the years, I've been less and less reliant on veterinarians. Okay. When you're, when you're kind of a new novice horse owner, you don't know a lot. You're kind of like a kid tugging on the vet's sleeve. You know, every time your horse has a bump, every time they're at it, their appetite backs off slightly, but there's a lot of things that with experience you can get really proficient at. I know a lot of guys that they're even uh, capable of, of stitching their horse up if they have a wound that requires stitches. You know, they know how to give a local anesthetic and they know how to stitch up that wound correctly and, and manage that. And just like the other trainers I know that are their own farriers. So education is often the best way to save yourself money on these things that are just such a drain sometimes financially. Um, Sadie, would anyone recommend blanketing an older Cushing's horse over the winter? Uh, before they grow tons of hair or if they grow enough hair to leave it be. Honestly, Sadie, I would leave that be. But again, my my theory on that is kind of depending on the horse. You know, some horses more so than others need a blanket. Um, I've got a couple horses, in fact, of my own that they make almost no hair in the winter. And then some really do. They get like fuzz. They become like fuzz balls to where if you're keeping a blanket on them, just because of all that padding now, they start sweating under there. You start seeing like rubs and stuff from the blankets. So you don't want that. So I don't know your horse personally, obviously, but chances are if they have such an amount of hair, uh, a blanket might not in fact be warranted, honestly. Um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, so get good at basic doctoring, wrapping legs, trimming feet barefoot, you know, even if you need somebody else to shoot a horse. Um, you know, these things can save so much money over the long term. It's not even funny. Like I said, I do my own barefoot trimming. I highly recommend that. And there's a lot of resources out there if you want to learn more about that. Okay. If you don't have somebody to show you firsthand, like I did, um, there's a lot of resources on that. I, I know a lot of journeyman farriers that started trimming their own horses and then it just became like a passion and it took off. Okay. So it's up to you how far you go with that. But these are just things I recommend and that I do myself. Um, when it comes to feeding, this is a big deal that I'm consistent on in, in what I teach in my program. I'm very much about forage first. There are some things with horses that you can't get away 
from investing a lot of resources in. Like for, but they help you in other areas. Like we had a big discussion in the group about saddles and how if you, in, if you can pony up the cash to invest in a quality saddle, you can then get away with just standard non-expensive pads. You don't have to have all this correction, corrective pads and all this crap just because you've got a saddle that is good and fits well. And it eliminates the other worries and maintenance issues, okay, in terms of sore back and these other things that are also a drain on finances. Well, when it comes to feeding, I'm very, I have a very similar approach in stressing the need for good hay. The reason I'm so passionate about that is because with especially horsemanship clinics, you know, like typically when we're doing a clinic, I'll be out there you know, checking people in and saying hi and helping them unload their horses and get their stuff situated in the stall prior to the clinic the following day. And so I've gotten a chance to see and kind of observe how the general horse owning public takes care of their horses, especially on the road. And sometimes it's not good to look at. Okay. I, I realize that a lot of people, not saying everybody, but a lot of people are feeding super crap hay that looks like straw, you know, smells like dirt. It's, it's, it's degenerated, degenerated to the point where cattle, dairy cattle wouldn't even touch this stuff. Okay. But they're trying to compensate for that by giving all these concentrated feeds and all these supplements and everything else when the forage is lacking. It's like taking supplements from GNC nutrition when your regular diet every day is donuts. Okay. It's just not gonna, it's not gonna help. You've got to have a strong foundation first. And so I highly recommend not only keeping your horse on pasture, but the fattest, slickest performance horses I've ever seen, whether this was Andrea Fapani's barn, you name the high-level trainer. They, they all follow a similar program, which is that their horse gets darn near free-choice alfalfa every day. That's usually in the form of pellets or cubes that are bought in bulk, or if they have actual alfalfa hay, although that tends to be more expensive. If they feed regular hay, they typically get a big round bale because the cost per ton is more efficient than buying small squares, okay? But no matter how they get it, typically they'll feed enough alfalfa every day, and it's two feedings a day that are spaced out to where the horse has just barely finished the first feeding. There's like a few crumbs left in the feeder before the next dose of alfalfa gets there. So they have almost free choice hay. Now, why is that done as opposed to just dumping a corner feeder full of hay and just leaving it there for several days? Well, because horses get picky about that stuff. They, they eat all the top layers and all their slobber and all, and, you know, all the chewings and stuff. It, it seeps into the feed below it. it the moisture starts building up there. The bottom of that feed starts to rot. And once that smell develops and that moisture, horses don't want that. They, they like the fresh, right? So they will then not eat the bottom layer of that feed or those pellets that you've got in the feeder. And now you've just wasted how much is, is there, right? That's why those guys, they ration it to where the horse has just run out before they pick up the next feeding. And then over in the corner, 24 seven just is a slow feed hay net with regular grass hay, either brome or coastal hay, just as a filler, something for the horse to munch on. Obviously, you know, they, they just can't, we can't keep pumping them full of alfalfa constantly with nothing else to balance their diet. Um, most horses enjoy having that grass hay there. And again, you give a slow feed hay net so that there's minimal waste on that. If you get those things right, 
most people, I would say 90% of people, unless you've got an off the track thoroughbred or you've got, you know, a horse that's in intensive training, there are cases where additional calories are needed. But most people are actually feeding grain and supplements that are costing them money that's just going right into the manure pile, literally, because their horse is so overfed and underworked and is getting all these additional calories and all these, all this nutrition and supplements that, you know, the horse is nowhere to go with this energy. It's just going right through them like crap through a goose. And you're, you might as well be taking that smart pack, cracking it open and dumping it in the manure bucket because that's where a lot of it is going unless the horse is in consistent workload and they're making use of all those nutrients. Otherwise you're just overfeeding it. Um, and it's just going in one end and out the other, literally. Okay. But pasture, alfalfa, hay, cubes of pellets, grass, hay, and then salt or a trace mineral block. That is for 90% of horse owners. That is all that a horse needs. I know some people, for example, that they will feed grain just as a delivery system for the supplement. Well, in my book, if you've got good hay, Again, talking about investment, you've invested in that, so then you don't have to invest elsewhere. And you've got a one of those salt slash trace mineral blocks, and it doesn't have to be mined from the peak of Mount Everest itself in the Himalayas. Okay, just a standard salt and trace mineral block is typically fine, and that's all the horse needs nutrition-wise. I use grain personally to supplement my horse's energy needs. Or if they are underweight in the course of training, which sometimes people bring me horses that are underweight, I need to give them as many calories as possible. Then I'll start delivering that through the grain. But most people do not need grain and they waste ungodly amounts of money on this stuff, on the grain and the supplements particularly. Now, here's another thing. Um, equine products. As I said before, plan ahead, catch sales. Uh, right now is a good season coming up for blankets. Um, if you need them because they're going to be on clearance. And and so being an aware shopper, a, a lot of you guys, I don't need to lecture you on that. It's pretty straightforward. But I was talking about this with somebody last week, which is that a lot of companies out there will charge more for horse products, horse, you know, branded horse people products uh, when you can find the exact same thing at just a regular hardware store or a regular farm or feed supply store for a much lower price. Because for some of these companies out there, when you mention the word horse, they think sucker. Okay. And so they're going to sell you a equestrian branded version that's got a high markup. Um, so sometimes you can find, especially when it comes to horse care products like fly spray. I, I would be curious to know the statistic on how many millions of dollars a year are wasted on fly spray. Okay. But if you're using fly spray, um, you know, one of the things that we've done in past years that worked really well is we actually rotate our fly sprays, uh, that have different active ingredients, right? And I do recommend that for you guys as well is that every so often you're rotating whatever sprays, you know, the active ingredients in it so that the insects in your barn don't have a chance to build up an immunity to that. Um, but we actually found a, a, it was kind of a, like an off or a budget brand of fly spray and they made three different kinds with three different active ingredients. And they were just for general livestock use, horses, cattle, sheep. They were safe for all these animals, right? And this fly spray was just as effective and just as longer long lasting as the name brand horse products. One downside though, the stuff stank horribly 
It didn't have that nice citronella scent that these companies add to make the smell of that fly spray and those chemicals tolerable. It, it was missing that. It didn't have that ingredient in there. Everything else was the same, and it smelled like nasty, I don't know, like diesel fuel, but with something else. It was gross, okay? But 16 to $20 a gallon, depending on the specific formula that we bought, depending on the active ingredient, 16 to 20 bucks a gallon versus 50 to $60 a gallon if you're buying piranha. I saw on, um, I think it was Valley Vet Supply, there was a, there was a gallon of Endure fly spray for like 70 some dollars. I mean, just crazy. So finding alter, alternate options like that is always super wise and can save you a ton of money because, you know, if you live in an area where there's not a lot of flies, that's not as important. But where we were at Nebraska, because my family's feedlot was right there, there's a ton of flies. So we were needing fly spray constantly. And we probably saved you know, over the course of a year, thousands of dollars on fly spray alone, just because of the price difference and how much we were using it. Another example would be like your standard Utter Balm, um, whether it's Bag Balm or there's other brands that, uh, you know, it's just, it's just uh, ointment, it's cream to put on small wounds and nicks and things that really didn't break the skin too deeply, right? You can find that stuff. You can find a little tub, a 36-ounce little tub of it for, you know, 12 to $13, less in some cases. You can get the old-school tins that are even cheaper, whereas the horse-branded stuff, the Coronas, these other ointments, you know, you're going to pay $23, $24 on up uh, depending on the brand of it. So again, there's many examples I could go through, but be aware of this stuff. You know, I used to be very much in the camp of just mindlessly purchasing, you know, whatever was on the front of the shelf in, in the, in the tax store, you know, and if you can dig a little deeper and find alternatives that are economical, maybe aren't branded for horses, but it's the same dang thing. You can save a ton of money. I actually knew a guy in Arizona and I believe he still does this he made his own wound ointment and hoof care gel because he would buy, and you can buy this at, at different stores that offer it, you know, Costco or other places. You can buy in bulk aloe vera gel. You can buy mineral oil and a few other things. You want the recipe, I will, I will email it to you. Um, but you can make your own hoof ointments. You can make your own creams. I don't go to that level. But that's like, that's like alpha level budget horseman right there, making his own creams and hoof dressings out of aloe vera gel and other things instead of just buying the stuff off the shelf. Um, yeah, Katie says, old timers use kerosene works great. Just don't ride your horse and slide too fast. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend that. <laughs> that's hilarious. But there is actually a hoof ointment out there. Oh, forget the name of it. It comes in a yellow jar. Um, it's been used since literally the late 1800s and it's, it's still on the market today, you know, so some, sometimes, um, and it costs a lot less than like hoof alive or some of these other things. Um, so you can find good deals that way. And the same philosophy carries over to the equipment and training. Remember what I said about saddle pads and saddle fit being huge. Um, you know, if you've got a quality saddle, it doesn't really so much matter anymore. The, the kind of pad that you have, you know, and. I really believe that I'm, I'm very much also when it comes to bits and head stalls and things like that, I'm very simple in my program. I have like half a dozen snaffles in my tack room and then the rest of my bridles. And uh, I mean, all I ever use 
is a smooth snaffle, number one, is the first bit that my horses ever get in their mouths. I've got a twisted snaffle, um, and they're all this, uh, this Don Dodge D-ring type snaffle that you see on the screen there. Um, and I will have a square sometimes, although typically I'll just go to a, a twisted square snaffle, which I was so mad because I spent probably $200 on a, on a, with a custom bit maker and he did a fantastic job. Okay. But I literally went to the same bit maker that a trainer I was apprenticing for was using and I paid $200 for an O-ring twisted square snaffle. I then proceed to find almost the exact same bit at Teskey Saddle Shop off the rack for like 25 to 30 bucks. I was mad. Okay. Um, but my point is you don't have to go out on a limb until you get to the higher echelons of wanting to try different bridles in your horse. You get to that refined level. Then I think that's justified. But most people, especially when you're first starting out, if you've got a couple snaffles or just one good one, that's all you need, you know just a basic leather head stall. I'm a big fan of leather split reins. I believe more people should be using reins. I, I used to use the Makati reins a lot. I hate the dang Makati's now. The Makati reins suck. Okay. They're good for super beginner riders, but you ha- you get to a certain point where they actually become like training wheels on a bicycle. They inhibit you then from progressing any further. It, they prevent you from cool things to, from taking place. So you got to get that out of your way and learn to use split reins. I learned that way too late in my career. It's only in the past few years that I've caught up and become comfortable and confident with my rein management. So don't take the easy way out on that. Um, but yeah, when talking about saddles and pads, you know, these diamond wool, if you're in the cutting or cow horse industry, especially, you've probably heard the name diamond wool. You probably ride diamond wool cutters every single day that you're riding two-year-olds or you're riding three-year-olds, working them at home. Um, and those pads are like 75 bucks. And it's the industry standard that so many guys use. And do they have saddle fit problems? Do they have soreness on their horse's backs? No, because on top of that pad is a good, like, you know, a Jeff Smith or one of these other high-end saddle makers that you're not going to have problems with, right? So you can, you can, in effect, I don't really want to say get away with because um, that implies that you're like cheapening out in a certain area. No, you're just making a good decision. You don't have to go out and spend two to $300 on like an over-engineered pad that is compensating for a bad saddle. Um, personally, I love to use like the diamond wool style cutters, 75 bucks a piece. Um, or I, I'm also a fan. So I'm kind of caught between the middle and I use both because I do like, the classic equine, they make a neoprene pad. Um, I think it's like a, they call it contour flex. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I got to look it up. But anyway, the reason I like that pad, especially during the summer is because if you're riding a ton of horses, you can easily unsaddle one that you just worked. You can spray out the bottom of that pad, boom, hang it up to dry. A few minutes later, it dries in the summer heat, put that back on another horse and keep rocking and rolling. I do know a lot of guys, though, that make do with with pretty cheap equipment. I, I tell the story about when I worked for a cow horse trainer in Arizona, he was sponsored by Classic Equine. And, you know, this guy's won like $2 million in the cow horse. Okay, so he's an operator, high level. Um, we go on a tour of the Classic Equine facility there when we're in Texas for the cow horse maturity. And we were given like 
big crates, like big cardboard boxes of test pairs of boots that weren't quite properly made. Um, you know, basically equipment that had not been manufactured up to the standard to where they could sell it, or it was experimental, like splint boots and skid boots and things that they were trying out, but they weren't actually going to sell it to the public. That was all in bins that was just going to be thrown away. We gathered that stuff back up. We gathered up all those boots. There was a bunch of saddle pads that were, you know, kind of misshapen or they weren't quite right. They weren't sellable. Um, so, you know, the, the bent and dent type stuff, we took that home and used it on all the two-year-olds, which I think is awesome because so many people are so neurotically obsessed with like the brand of splint boot they use or the brand of equipment. And here you've got a $2 million winner in the cow horse getting like stuff that was going to be thrown away and he's taking it home and using it on his two-year-olds. Okay with no issues whatsoever. So that just goes to show you, even the guys at the top, they're horse trainers. Just like all of us horse people, we will not resist an opportunity to be thrifty, okay? Because we know what it's like to be poor, all of us, if you're around horses long enough, okay? You will get an education. Um, but uh, yeah, so the pads, these snaffles, and you can even be cheaper than this. I just happened to find um, there's a bit that was retailing that is one that I like and that I have. It's a sweet iron, like a Don Dodge D-ring snaffle. It's got copper inlays. That bit typically retails for about $70, which I bought the $70 version. Later to find out there's an exact same product from Weaver Leather that retails for $44. Okay, exact same product. Um, the halter, you know, there's halters out there from certain clinicians and trainers that will charge upwards of $75, even $90 in some cases for a um for a halter and lead rope set there's a couple guys in particular their their lead ropes don't even have any hardware their lead ropes don't even have any snaps on the dang thing and they're still charging like 70 bucks for these things well if you want email me afterwards and i can show you where to get the exact same thing for 57 dollars. if you want a halter it's got the stiff halter cord and the double nose knots with a 14 foot lead rope and a, and a nickel snap and get that for $57. I, I don't know about you guys, but I use my training tools heavily enough. I'm using those lead ropes enough. They don't stay nice very long. I'm outside doing obstacles and the lead ropes dragging in the mud. And like, I don't care how it looks. I don't care about being fancy. I just want equipment that works and I'm willing to go find a bargain, but it's still going to be high quality equipment. And that's my point is you can find quality stuff um, and it's not going to break the bank. Here, uh, kind of touching on our previous live stream that we did, I talked about, you know, making the best of, of minimal facilities. If you haven't seen that, the replay is in the Academy website, um, in the, in the webinar replay section. Um, and you can, you can watch that. But yeah, just wanted to call attention to the fact that you can get by with almost no facility whatsoever. In fact, we've had a bunch of people sign up for the free trial of our program. Uh, that most of them watch that webinar and they don't have an arena. A lot of these gals are out in the pasture or they're making do with a road or something like that, but they're still able to make it work. And that's my thing is a little creativity, a little ambition. You can still get a lot done. Um, now, going along with saving money on farrier bills, again, I touched on this last time. And if you want to know, I'm actually making a new training video on how to do this that's going to be on the Academy site. Um, but a few cents worth of duct tape. If you've got horses that pull shoes off, learning how to tape feet correctly, 
can be a lifesaver. And this, this is actually a picture I took of a horse that whose foot I taped, um, just showing how simple that is. Okay. Um, as well as polo wraps, you know, the, I've actually got on the next slide. Let me show you guys something. So I talked about splint boots and leg protection in the last live stream, right? This picture is of a set of sports medicine boots and bell boots that I actually had manufactured before all the, the Corona crap hit us. I actually reached out to a factory in China that a little bit of a red pill here. They manufacture a lot of the stuff for these American companies that just slap an American flag on it and charge $90 a set for the sports medicine boots. Okay. Which when I talk about supplements of boots and everything, I'm never going to get sponsors. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I just, I just accepted that reality. I'm going to be the guy that has like the NASCAR driver that's in the back that owns his own team and his car is just plain white with a number. That's going to be Lundahl performance horses because I piss off everybody. I piss off the, the guys that sell leg protection. I piss off the people that sell supplements and feed. There's nobody left. Okay. But my point is I had those splint boots made $10 a set. And that was, that was a test pair. That was a sample. That's what it worked out to with even the shipping from literal China. That's how much I paid for those boots. Um, and if I wanted to have them mass produced, I could get that at even lower cost. The bell boots were similar price, about $10 for that set of two. Contrast that to what we pay typically here in the States for a pair of these boots, anywhere from 60 to 80 $90 in some cases. Some cases over 100 depending on the specific brand. But as I said, you know, you talk to any high-level professional, in public, they're picky about the brand that they use. In private, they don't care what brand they use. They just use anything that they can get their hands on um, that is working and reasonably well-designed, okay? But beyond the sports medicine boots, um, I personally prefer polo wraps just because I think they do a better job supporting the horse's leg. And guess what? They cost less. You can get a set of four polos for like, what, 12 bucks? Um, and you can use these things for a long time. It takes them a long time to wear out. If you know how to use them and you're putting them on properly um, and you're washing them on a consistent basis, there's nothing better than a good polo wrap and cheap too. It's just that people are lazy, don't want to take the time to learn how to use them. Um, or they just want to be able to slap a, a boot on, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're on a budget in terms of leg protection, instead of buying those pricey splint boots, um, polo wraps are the way to go, honestly. Now, I had this slide in, in my academy course. Those of you that are in the course probably saw this. One of the best pieces of training tack that I ever purchased when I look at value created versus money that I had to invest, probably my best piece of training equipment was a cheap Casio wristwatch that I got from Walmart. Um, because I got, I learned as an apprentice, which I had never had these demands placed on me before, but I learned time management to follow a lesson plan and manage my time and get a lot more done and be efficient. I've talked to a lot of you guys about that. I won't harp on this too much, but I'm just saying, you know, time is money. Time is precious to all of us. It's something that none of us are going to get a single second of it back in our lives, right? So make the most of it, I say. And if you're more efficient with the way that you're using your time around horses and you kind of have these self-imposed limits on yourself, you'd be amazed at how much more productive you are, right? And it just, 
I talk a lot about aligning your priorities, whether it's how you manage your time around your horses or the types of things that you're spending money on. You know, should you save up for a good saddle versus invest in all these other supplements and all and the chiropractor and all this other stuff, you know, making those cost benefit decisions is crucial. Um, so just thought I would touch on that. Now, I, we do have some Q&A to get to. We'll get to that at the end. Um, a lot of times, though, when I go through these presentations, like when I'm training my horses, a lot of times I'll give them soaking time, like after a really intense session. Some people just need mental soaking time after I've gone on my rants, okay? Um, so luckily, though, there's a way for you to get that. Um, and I'll just talk a little bit about my program here that, that we're promoting. We're doing a free trial, actually, and then we'll open the floor. I've got a, a Q&A question that I want to get to right away, and then we'll take submissions from the rest of you guys watching. Um, but, you know, we've had a good conversation. We've had some fun here. If you want to continue this stuff and really get in depth, you know, whether it's on this, you know, managing your money, managing your time around your horses, having a smart lesson plan, or you're looking to do more advanced things with your horses, you want step-by-step -step instructions to teach advanced maneuvers, things like that. That's what we're doing now in the special mentoring program that we're creating. We launched the free trial during the last webinar. We had already a handful of people sign up um, and we're continuing to improve that every single day. And really what that is, is just a way for us to continue to collaborate with you and continue to push the envelope forward in your horsemanship and get you to a much better place in just the first eight weeks and beyond that we start working with you. And that is, of course, the Horseman's Academy. So um, how does that, well, who does that work for, first of all? Because some of you guys that I spoke to on the phone during this past week, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, my background is more so in the Western, the Western performance horse type disciplines. But at my clinics and lessons, I work with a lot of English riders. Um, I'll work with anybody that wants to improve their horsemanship. But because of what people see, you know, they see me on a horse in a cowboy hat or whatever, or, or they listen to a podcast where I'm specifically talking about a reining maneuver. And they think that we are just limited to that. And we're not. We work with all kinds of people at all different levels, be they casual horse owners that just want a good trail horse or they're people that are more ambitious looking to show. Or in some cases, they're like us. They're up and coming professionals. They've maybe not had the experience we've had. They want to learn from somebody that's learned some lessons. In some cases, learn them the hard way, right? Better to learn from other people's mistakes than to create them yourself. And so we, we cater to all of those people. And it's very a customizable program. So here's how it works. The real meat and potatoes of it is the one-on-one -on -one coaching calls that we do. And that's twice a month. And typically based on what I charge for an hour of my time, you know, you're getting a $720 value out of that immediately just off of those two monthly calls. And the reason those are essential is because we're constantly keeping you up to date, keeping ourselves up to date as well, where you're at, where you want to be, things that you're struggling with, where you're having wins and success. And we continue collaborating that and try to put a flywheel into effect where the progression and the momentum you create is building on itself week to week. You're also getting direct input from somebody, a trainer, myself, that has skin in the game. In other words, is personally invested in your success. I, as a student, have been on the receiving end of a lot of negativity in some cases from trainers that I've worked for or I've attended a lot of clinics as a student when I was first starting out in horsemanship. And 
the amount of negativity, guilt tripping, um, and just general unhelpfulness is unreal in the horse industry. You've got a lot of people that are great with horsemanship, but are poor communicators and don't know how to coach and don't know how to motivate people. And that's that communication part that I've really intensively been studying over the past several years. And I've tried to perfect my craft. I keep trying to get better at that every day is how to, how do I translate some of these things that are more complicated or that other trainers would not have the patience to walk people through? And how do I make that accessible to them? Right. These are the questions I'm asking every single day. So you're getting all my help directly on that. So you're getting the one-on-one -on -one coaching and that breaks down to two one-on-one -on -one calls with you a month at minimum. And then you're also getting the mindset and philosophy course, which I've made a bunch of new trainings for over the past week. And I'm going to keep updating because I'm a big believer that you want to change your horse. You got to change yourself, get out of your comfort zone, create clarity of an honesty about what you're actually facing with your horses. We tried this in a previous, we had a previous iteration where we were kind of casually exploring what we could do with a coaching program. And a big reason why that failed is because we didn't have enough information going both ways. If we're going to work remotely with somebody and not literally be there physically in person to be able to jump on their horse and solve something immediately, we have to be getting good information, right? Um, we are only as good as the information we get back. And if we're talking past each other and not on the same page in terms of our beliefs about horsemanship, in terms of being realistic of what your horse is struggling with and what they need and what your capabilities are as a rider, if we don't have clarity there, it's just not going to work. So we spend at our clinics and lessons, we actually go through an orientation speech. Those of you guys that have been to our clinics know that we do an orientation session at the beginning, right? Well, this is like that on steroids, and it really allows us to get intimately familiar with you and your horse and be speaking the same language as we go forward. And we just charge $20 for that course as it sits right now. But like I said, since the coronavirus, I've been updating the content and trying to streamline it and make it better and make it more effective. Um, so you get the one-on-one -on -one coaching, you get the mindset and the philosophy course. The success kit is the real hammer, the, the really effective piece in this equation, because that's the actual personalized riding plan that we provide. And we, we have a good system now where I don't literally have to sit down and type it up from scratch for you. I have my system mapped out. It's just a matter of reverse engineering it and tweaking it to fit your horse and your goals. Okay. But it, so it, it is personalized, but all the concepts and everything has a logical flow behind it. They make sense and they build on each other. It's not what I call chicken feed, which is just exercises to kind of keep you busy, keep you occupied, keep you feeling like you're doing something, but you're really not making very much progress. And the biggest thing in, in speaking with some of you guys on the phone this past week, the common theme that's come up that I kind of already knew was there to begin with is that a lot of you guys are looking for structure. You're looking for a plan uh, and some long-term guidelines that go way beyond just the one-off riding lessons. And so that's really what we're trying to apply. This stuff, we use this in our program. I'm a big believer. I'm wearing my Walmart wristwatch. I'm managing my time as I'm riding, and I still follow these outlines, okay? I create a plan for myself for my rides, and I just believe that that is a fundamental thing you have to do as a horseman is have a plan for every ride. I think all of us intuitively know that, um, but that's super important. And a lot of this stuff, we're going to make it 
semi-public as we, um, you know, we're, we're looking at right now getting a horse to film an entire cult starting series with. And we're going to lay out everything exactly the way we do it at home with no alterations, right? But those plans and everything that that's based on, we don't put out there publicly because it's like the stuff that's out there on the market publicly and on YouTube in terms of effectiveness, it's like a little Red Rider BB gun. If we're going to give you the real cream of the crop system that we use, which is compared to that BB gun, we're now giving you a machine gun, okay, in terms of effectiveness and power that you have at your disposal, you'd better use that wisely. That's why we're doing the mindset and the other stuff. And we want to be on the same page with you because it's super effective. So you get the one-on-one -on -one coaching, the, the course, the success kit, lesson plans, and the exclusive video content where we're making training videos, but we also do video coaching. In fact, Jason, uh, uh, one of the members of our coaching program, as soon as I get off here, I'm going to be working on finishing up. He sent me a 10-part series of writing videos that I'm going to put in my screen share software, and I'm reacting to that and coaching through the stuff that I see on camera. Um, and that's unlimited, okay, like we stress. So you're sending writing videos to us, and it goes beyond nitpicking your posture. Like we actually drill down into the stuff that other trainers typically do not have the patience for, don't have the willingness to teach, or can't communicate these concepts, we really break it down in detail and go through what we see and then make solid recommendations based on that. We're constantly updating the plan based on the results that you're getting with your horse. And if you figure in the, the hours that we're going to spend with you, even if all you do is like get two coaching sessions with us, we would typically charge $120 for that. Okay. But you get that as part of this academy package. The final thing you get is you get a $600 discount on a two-day lesson. Um, we did in February, we went down to Louisiana. We worked with Katie down there as kind of a test mission for the uh, video camera system that we brought with us to actually film that lesson in real time while we were down there. And I'm a big believer in hands-on training at the end of the day. Obviously, we can't do that now through the coronavirus. Otherwise, I would encourage people to do a lesson with us first and then have the coaching to continuously build on that. But if we're going to start with the coaching, I still want to give you guys the option when this virus situation is cleared up that you can work with us and get that same discount where we take it, we take the cost of the lesson from $900 a day, which is already a good deal. If you look at what our peers in this industry charge, we take that down to $600 a day and we allow you to do a two day lesson that is videotaped. So, Already, you're getting a lot more powerful experience with the retention and the knowledge you have off the film, um, and we discount the price to make it as affordable as we can within reason, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, the discount on the private lesson it goes from eighteen hundred to twelve hundred dollars. So you're getting all this value: the one-on-one -on -one coaching, the philosophy course, the success kit, the video content, and the two-day private lesson discount that's optional for you to use. That is what the value is right here if you work with us for an entire year. You're getting that amount of value, over $2,000, and you can start today for $99 a month and have all that included. Um, that is our Horseman's Academy coaching program. However, for those of you guys that are, that are in, this, in this system, we're doing a free 30-day trial offer. I'll come back to that in a second. But you know, a lot of people have asked me over the phone, 
Um, you know, they, they've had a lot of questions, obviously, about how all this works. One of the things I ask them is, you know, if all I'm able to do is just give you the exercises and tools to, to work through your horse's problems and accomplish what you want to do, would this be worth it? You know, it could be something as simple as you don't want to have to have every time you saddle your horse and go on a trail ride being a fight. Or you've got specific goals, performance horse-wise, you want to accomplish this year. And if you've got somebody in your corner helping you, pushing you, um, would that be worth it? Would the 99 a month be worth it? Would it be worth it if you had the confidence because of the program we've given you, you have structure to follow, you're not lost ever. You know where you're at, you know what the plan is, you're able to put rides together in your own head and evaluate how things go. You're literally being, you're using professional style tactics, even if you're not a professional yourself, you're thinking like one and you're acting like one, even if you're not a professional horseman, you're using that grade of tools though. That's really what my goal is, at least what I want to impart. And if that's all the result was that you got out of this program, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it if you were just more aware and effective as a horseman and you came out of this with better feel and timing, which is what we all want, right? In our horsemanship, would it be worth it? in that case. And if the answer that you give is that it is worth it, then I, I would encourage you to take us up on our free 30-day trial offer. Um, you can start now, actually. Last time, I just had my phone link to give me a direct call one-on-one. -on -one. And if you want to talk to me first, the I've got the, the strategy session link down there. You can book a call with me on allperformance.as.me slash academy. Um, but what I would really recommend is you just go to the Academy website. If you're watching this through the Academy website, you can see that uh, in our courses section, we have the mentoring program right there. You can sign up, you put your details in, and you immediately start a 30-day free trial that you can cancel at any time. You go through the orientation, you go through the worksheets, you set up a call with me, we give you your success kit, and we get the ball rolling. And then you can choose whether or not you want to continue after that point. So, you know, this is kind of us extending a hand and, and a lot of you have already taken us up on the offer. We had like half a dozen people sign up off of the last webinar. Um, and so I would encourage you guys, if you're on the fence, you can either sign up and just do the free trial uh, or you can talk to me first. Just book a one on one call with me at that second link down below um, and and ask me questions. Find out if this is actually going to be a good fit for you based on your specific needs. I suspect that it will. But if you just want to talk to me in person, that's the way to go about it. So let's go ahead and, and I'll kind of hang around here for the next 10 minutes. Um, we had a, a Q&A question that I wanted to address and any other training questions that are coming in, um, we'll address that as well. But I had, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and check my email here. I had a couple questions come in prior to the stream this time. We didn't have, we didn't really have a lot last time. Um, okay. So I had a question actually about performance horse maintenance and the next webinar that we do is going to be on that subject about performance horse, uh, like getting them legged back up now, because a lot of people's horses that are, that are show horses, derby horses, because of all the events that have been canceled and everything else with this coronavirus, uh, these horses are now fat and out of shape. Okay. And how to get these horses leg back up and working. I want to, I want to break that down. I also want to break down a lot of the things that I've learned 
over the years just about performance horse maintenance, leg care, things like that. And we'll go deep into this subject. Um, but just to give you kind of an overview or a preview of that, what I really believe in when you're getting horses leg back up like this, um, first of all, I believe in doing a lot of groundwork. I, I've had my experience in the past where, you know, I'll get a, a show horse out that's had a ton of time off. The first several rides are usually really crappy. And the problem with that is if that horse doesn't have the stamina anymore and is out of shape, typically all you're able to do in that ride is just get enough in enough of a fight with them to create a problem. And then by the time you actually start getting anywhere, that horse is physically exhausted very quickly and you're kind of screwed at that point. So even with the performance horses, I recommend doing like a, a week or so of solid groundwork. And here's why. The lunging and the other things we do, we're still going to be intensive about it. We're still going to place a lot of demand on this horse and have them get their butt moving. But it's not as demanding as us being on their back. But it's a very good way to get them back in that respectful, listening frame of mind. And a lot of uh, performance horse trainers, they discount the groundwork. Or if they do any lunging, it's just in mindless circles constantly, right? Well, we're a bit different than that. We're going to be doing our lunging. We're going to be yielding, getting two eyes, sending them off the other way. We're going to be doing our stage two with a lot of inside turns. Um, we're going to be doing a ton of backing, yielding the four quarters. We're going to be doing a ton of things that actually translate to the saddle. And it gets the horse's mental gears kind of lubricated again and gets them thinking again. Um, and it, that groundwork is going to take something out of them physically and mentally, um, but not as much as if we were riding, we're able to use the energy that we have to actually get something positive done. Um, and on top of that, we're going to be able to find areas where we can quit the session where that horse isn't so mentally exhausted that they've just basically mentally checked out of the session, right? I had that experience before with a, a horse that I was supposed to leg back up and, and get rehabbed coming off of an injury. Um, and I just straight up went to go get on this horse. Okay. And the horse was super fresh, came out there, was trying to crow hop and do these other things. And the horse was dorking around and being resistant enough and just being a fresh punk. But after that adrenaline wore off and he settled back down, starts limping again. I'm like, Oh crap. Right. Because this horse in just farting around and being an idiot had actually restrained that injury again that I was supposed to be rehabbing him from. Okay. And it was at that point, I kind of made the decision, you know what, any horse, especially coming off injury, but even just time off, like significant amounts of time off, that's a performance horse. I'm not just going to get on them day one. I'm at least going to do a few days worth of groundwork, get them back in a listening, respectful frame of mind. So when I actually get on their back, I don't have to go through any of that stuff. And at that point, it becomes a lot of, and I'll talk about this more on next week's stream, but it becomes a lot of, especially long trotting. I do a lot of that as opposed to loping, right? Because again, you can manage energy more efficiently, getting that horse to stride out. It's good for them mentally. It's kind of what I want in terms of, you know, if, if I've got a cow horse, especially, but even a rainer, right? It, it's going to be essential. Um, the, the trot is a more balanced gait, obviously. So there's a lot of reasons for doing that, but I'll, I'll do a lot of long trotting initially and I'll kind of warm the horse back up to how soft they were initially, uh, before we quit 
I'll warm them up to the level that they were at before that time off occurred. And, and I'm going to do that smartly and in stages. And I'm not just going to expose them back into that day one. You know, if you've got an NFL player that broke his leg the prior season and it's his first day back at practice, you're not going to go full pads and be full contact day one, right? We got to ease back into this. Um, so it's actually the opposite mentality I use when I'm starting horses from scratch. I'm very intensive in those first several days and then easier on the horse as time goes on with this horse, with, with the kind of horse that's either a rehab case or is coming off, coming off of a long time where, uh, where he was inactive, you do want to actually ease the horse into that. So, um, We'll talk more about that in, in our stream, uh, next time, next week, actually. I think it'll be the same time again. We'll do Thursday, five o'clock Eastern. Um, and as always, you can submit questions, uh, you know, before that. But, um, I'll go ahead and send an email out because we had a bunch more people register, uh, for this webinar this time around that didn't watch the last one. So I'll be sending you guys the links where you can check out the free trial on the website and go through, just poke your nose around in the trainings there, see what's there. If it's not for you, fine. If it is, you want to continue working with us, you can jump into the program, um, do the 30 days free and then 99 a month after that. Um, in terms of the podcast, we have a really good episode coming out over the next couple of days. And I might go live again in the group, in the Facebook group in the middle of the week to rant about something that's been on my mind. There's two, two things that as a horseman really triggered me. Okay. That I saw this past week. The first one was probably the worst article on saddling a colt that I've ever seen in my life. And it points to a lot of mistakes, safety wise, especially that people make in starting young horses. And then the second one was actually, uh, a, um, it was a, uh, YouTube video that talked about, I think it was in the context of a, of a disrespectful horse on the ground. It talked about horses that want to rip away from your hands, you know, rip the lead rope out of your hand if they're on the ground with you, you got a halter on them, that want to pull away and just turn and piss off across the pasture and leave you in the dust, right? Um, and the way that was addressed, because um, I've worked with horses like that. I know people come, they come to me with horses like that uh, on occasion. Um, but I felt that that subject was covered very poorly. So I, I just have this compulsion now to get my thoughts out there and I may very well go live in the group or just save that for the podcast. I'll, I'll be talking about that in some way. Um, but I might just do an informal live stream here in the group, uh, this later this week or, or early next week, but we'll go live again next Thursday at 5 PM Eastern. Well, um, I want to thank you guys for coming out and hanging out with us and asking questions and interacting with us in the chat. It's been a blast, as always. Um, let me go ahead and uh, I'm just going to double check. Double check here that I didn't miss anything. I know Amy has been kind of monitoring. Yep. Nice. Okay. So yeah, I'll be sending all you guys, uh, I'll email you the links where you can be signing up and, uh, I really appreciate you joining us. So any questions, feel free to email me, jake at lundellperformance.com, uh, or when the email comes, just click on one of the links to either watch the replay of this, sign up for the free trial 
or uh, book a one-on-one call with me. Take care, guys. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Horseman's Academy podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a five-star rating to help other horsemen just like you find the podcast. To learn more about the Horseman's Academy or to submit a training question you want covered on the show, visit www.lundallperformance.com. Thank you.